So I'll read from Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. You may like to follow along or just listen carefully. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will make them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the, for the one, from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little while ago, I had a friend ring me up. Good friend. Pete, I'm down in London for a work conference in a few weeks' time. Can I come and stay with you? Yes, of course you can. It'd be lovely to see you, Greg. Really nice. I'll book you in. And I wrote it down. He said, you should know, I'm going I'm to get back quite late that day. Like, it's an evening do, and then I think it might be like 11, 11.30 when I get to you. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah of course, of course, it's fine. Like, it's lovely. He normally lives in Glasgow, so it's not like I get to see him often. I totally forgot that he was coming. I mean, like, these weeks went by. I had written it down, but oh, yeah, on the night, I was having a nice evening off, enjoying myself. I even fatally turned off my phone, which just, just totally eclipses any opportunity for him to remind me that he's coming, doesn't it? So um, I think to myself, this is a lovely relaxing evening. I think I'll go to bed early. And I retire for the night early, thinking, what a lovely evening. Sure enough, about 11.30pm, the doorbell went, and I was startled awake. Ding dong! You know, oh no, who on earth is ringing my doorbell at 11.30 on, on a weeknight? I had about five seconds of furious thinking until I realised... Oh no, oh, it's my friend Greg. Oh, and I told him I was going to be ready. And there is no way to hide this. You know, I am in my pajamas, looking sleepy. The house is dark and cold. Oh. So I decide I'm just going to have to fess up. You know, I'm, I'm going to answer the door. I'm going to tell him I'm sorry, I forgot you were coming. And hopefully he'll forgive me. So I, I stumble downstairs, open the door, and say, Hello, maid. I'm really sorry, I forgot you were coming, but you are welcome here. And we had a lovely cup of tea, and he, he's lovely, so he was good about it. I want to think with you today about the return of Jesus 
And there is a day, Jesus says today in the Bible, when he will come. He says, he'll come at an hour you don't expect him, but you need to be ready. In fact, the, his opening line is in verse 35. Do you see it there? Or do you remember? He says, be dressed, ready for service. There's no good being in, you know, in your pyjama equivalent like I was. Oh, hello. Yeah. Uh, no, he says, you've got to be ready. And keep your lamp burning. In those days, they would have had those oil lamps. You can picture Aladdin's lamp. So they filled it with oil and with a little flame coming out of the spout to light your house. And he says, keep that on because you're expecting somebody. It didn't make much sense to keep your lamp on overnight. You know, that's a bit like leaving all your lights and your central heating on overnight. And anybody do that? Anybody so rich they just leave their heating on overnight? No, didn't, no me neither. Um, so, but Jesus says, keep your lamp on. Keep your lamp burning because you're e- expecting Jesus to come back. So be ready. And that's our, that's our theme for today. That's what Jesus wants us to get thinking about. So that's what we're going to talk about. It may seem like an abstract theological thing that some Christians are excited about, but actually doesn't really touch your everyday life. But I want to try and persuade you, this is, this is amazing. This is dynamite. This will actually empower your daily life in this city. How so? Well, as you know, life is hard. I mean, you may be dealing with that at the moment. You may have some illness that you're dealing with, physical illness, mental illness, something that just drips pain into your everyday existence. Or you may have some grief that keeps tugging at your heart and weighing it down. You may have some stubborn person in your life, you know, they just won't budge, they just won't change no matter what you try. You may have some never-ending project that feels like a boulder. I'm just trying to push this project along, but it just keeps rolling back on me every time I give it anything. You may have some relationship that just feels stuck. You know, it might be your marriage, it might be your parents, your children, your housemates, something. I've tried everything with this person, it just doesn't seem to work. Or you might be caring for somebody and it's just really, really hard to do the right thing and keep going. Life is hard, right? And Christians have always understood that. They've never been trite about it, but they've always looked to the return of Christ and said, that day is my hope. Because on on that day I will see him and he will shine brighter than the sun. That's why we sang that new song today. And on that day, it is actually going to make it seem like all these weighty things that have been difficult in this life, they're actually going to seem like light and momentary troubles, amazingly because of that day when he comes. Christians have always done that. So the return of Christ is our thing. Or if, if you put it another way, it's rather like <clears throat> crochet. I called this knitting earlier on at the 9.30 service and someone shouted, it's not knitting, it's crochet. So this is crochet. <laughs> Uh, and Bethany uh, at the 9.30 kindly lent me this. This is a project she's working on. I said, Bethany, can I have a project you're working on that's not finished yet? So can you see it's got straggly bits on it? And um, let me bring it down so you guys can see. And if you're a Christian, then it's a bit like God has started this amazing project. Like, it's like he, you live in a universe where he started off this incredible thing, this, this universe which is ordered and artistic and beautiful. And you don't, you don't need loads of insight to look at the world around you and think, this is amazing. I mean, this universe has got so much beauty and order. It's like someone wove it together. But we are all aware that there are straggly bits in the universe. There's things that need tying off. There's injustices. There's things that need sorting out, right? And it's, as a Christian, you live in a universe and you think, well, I am a person of faith. So it makes sense to me that the God who started off the universe will finish it off. See? 
very hard to live in a universe where you think, I don't understand why, why it started, and I certainly don't understand why it's going to finish. So I, I'd much rather be a person of faith who thinks, I, I, I see that it's started, and I believe it will be finished. I, tr- I trust God, my creator. Make sense? So Christians have always looked to the, to the finishing of the great creation project and said, that, that day is coming. That's going to be a good day. Should we adorn our eagle today in, uh, oh, there we go, in the crochet. In a nutshell today then, I want to look at uh, the story and then the servants. So there's kind of two halves to the Bible reading. We'll do the story and then the servants and then we're done. If you want it in a sentence, I'd say the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Firstly then, the story, verses 35 to 41. Be dressed, ready for service, says Jesus, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Wedding banquets in those days, you know, most weddings these days, it's a great big day of partying, right? But then it's kind of done by the next day. In those days, you could have a great big wedding. You know, it could be three days, four days. It could be a week if they really wanted to push the boat out and show you a great time. So when it says the master goes away to the wedding banquet and the, and the servants don't know when he's getting back, they really didn't. I mean, he, he had to travel there. He had to stay for an indeterminate time until the host said, right, okay, we're, we're done now. Can you all go home? And there were no text messages, phones, emails. So he can't say, hey, servants, I'm coming back now. There's no rapid transport, so he can't get the train or the car and, and, and suddenly turn up. So he, he will be back whenever the journey on foot brings him back. It might be in the middle of the night. In fact, there's a big event happening in London next week. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's, um, it's, on, the, it's on the 6th. It's kind of a big deal. Anybody? Coronation? Yeah. Okay, great. And um, there are all sorts of dignitaries coming. It's not a wedding banquet, but it's a big deal, right? And uh, I looked at the guest list. My goodness, it's like... Whew, the, the great and the good, and some of them with less good human rights records, are going to be in London next weekend for the coronation. So let's pick one, shall we? Let's imagine, shall we say, uh, the king of Spain is King Philippe and Queen Isabella. Have I got that right? Letizia. The king and queen of Spain are, <laughs> are coming to, uh, to London next week. I think they really are for Charles's coronation. And let's say King Philippe, he's been to the coronation. He's had a lovely time being a king with another king. And it's time for him to go back to Madrid. And he thinks, oh, I'm a bit tired. I'm gonna, I had a meeting in the diary. I'm not going to go there in the evening with that other person. I'm just going to go back to my palace. And he catches an early flight, gets home early. Here I am. Knock, knock, you know, can you, can you let me in, please, servants, at my palace in Madrid? It will be good for those servants, wouldn't it, if they're not drunk when he gets back. You know, if, if, if they've generally kept the palace tidy and they say, oh, welcome back, sir, we've been looking forward to you. Would you like food, nightgown, whatever he needs? Jesus actually wants to talk not just about that moment. He wants to talk about the pleasure, verse 37, that he will feel if he gets back and he finds people ready for him. This is actually, I find this the most amazing part of today. So verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will make them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. What? 
It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the, t- the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Jesus is saying, "Look, I'll be so pleased. It's like I'll tie on an apron and fix you supper." I wouldn't believe this if, unless I'd read about the rest of Jesus' life. You know, no, nobody behaves this way in power, do they? But I've read about the rest of Jesus' life. So I remember, you know, if you were here Maundy Thursday a few weeks ago at Easter, we reenacted Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And we said there's this amazing moment just before he dies when Jesus actually washes stinky, dirty feet of his, his followers. Or you may remember him talking about um, the Son of Man came to, to serve, not to be served. Or you may think of other examples when he just um, touched people who were otherwise outcast and spent time with them and healed them. This fits with the rest of Jesus' life. And indeed, I, this might be the epitome at the end of time when he says, I want to serve you and come and eat at my table. Imagine being waited on by someone really important. Can you even think? Imagine you work at Buckingham Palace next week and in the evening, King Charles and Queen Camilla get back. I'm kind of tired. And they say, hey, butler, maid, lady-in-waiting, you look tired too, can I get you anything? No, oh no, because you're the king and the queen on your crown. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. can I get you? What? All right, uh, cheese on toast? Sure, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That would be amazing. I mean, you'd be talking about that for the rest of your life. The king and the queen served me. And yet, we will be talking about that for the rest of eternity. Jesus Christ, in all his regalia, came at the end of time and yet said, I, I want to serve you. I'm so pleased to find you serving the church. This is the story. Look, you may find the return of Christ a little abstract or maybe even a bit embarrassing. That's one of those Christian things I don't love to talk about with other people. It seems a little bit irrational, perhaps. If that's you, then just remember two things, okay? Because this really is comforting. First thing is, remember creation. I don't think the universe would have been started off by this great creator unless he intended to finish it off. So with anybody who feels a little bit embarrassed, or unsure about it, I just want to say, what do you think this is? And don't you think it would come to an end just like it it got off to a good start? I mean, how do you explain the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang? But I would also want to talk about Christ. So I talk talk about creation, I want to talk about Christ, because it seems to me that if you're a Christian, you have already bought into the idea that the Messiah will bring the world to justice. This is all over the Bible. The Jews always believed that there would be a great Messiah king and he would bring the world to completion. He would consummate the kingdom. And in Luke's gospel, if you were here, like a year ago, we looked at John the Baptist saying he will come with a winnowing fork in his hand, chapter three, and he will bring the nations to justice. So you've actually, you've already, you've already bought into this thing and you've just got to embrace Jesus as the, the full bringer of justice. He really is. He's the one we can trust to do it with fairness and yet with mercy and compassion. So I talk about creation, I talk about Christ with anyone who wasn't sure. And Jesus finishes his story with verse 40. He says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So, so far we looked at the first half, we looked at the story. Let's just turn because there is a second half to this and I'm calling this the servants. Let's consider the, the three servants in the story. Verses 42 to 48. Because Peter asks, look, look, Jesus, who are you talking about? And Jesus goes on to talk about three different types of people he's talking about. I actually need three 
volunteers for this. Would anyone be willing? If you want to volunteer, you've got to be willing just to stand here for a few minutes and hold a sign. Anybody willing to do that? Three people. Please. Tanisha, thank you so much. Come on down. And M, and one more. Uh, Mike, you had your hand up first. Thank you, guys. Do you want to stand up here? Thank you very, very much. Okay. Tanisha, can you go first? Hold that up so people can see. You, Tanisha, are the faithful and wise servant. There we go. So the rest of you see, Jesus wants to talk in verses 42 to 44. He says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So, Tanisha, you, you did it. You were faithful and wise, Jesus says. And th- in ancient times, um, this was called the steward. So if you, got, if you were a servant who did well, you were put in charge of the whole household, you were given responsibility. Um, or if you're a Downton Abbey fan, you are Carson, right? You are, you are the guy in charge of the whole household who sort of feeds the other servants and keeps things in order. And Tanisha represents that for us. For this reason, yeah, because this is a servant who's sort of in charge of um, other things, people have often seen an analogy to church leadership here. So they've sort of said, look, you're a Christian like everyone else, but you're in charge of feeding other Christians. You, you give them their food allowance. So if you're involved in church leadership in any way, if you have a role of responsibility, you might pay attention here. Either you give physical food or you give spiritual food to other Christians. And um, this servant gets put in charge of all the master's possessions. So let's imagine these are the keys to Jesus's responsibilities in the new creation. And um, this, this person gets given more responsibility in the new age. And this is, this is one of those places where we see actually um, being, being resurrected, being in God's kingdom, it's not going to be passive, like just reclining on a cloud purely floating around or purely singing songs the whole time. This is actually, you're going to be given jobs, responsibilities, an active role. Okay, thank you, Tanisha. If you could just stay there, that would be excellent, doing your faithful and wise job. Uh, M, I've got one for you. I'm afraid, Em, you are representing the one who is deliberately disobedient. Okay? So the rest of you see in verses... 45 onwards, Jesus wants to, actually it gets pretty sobering. Suppose the servant says to himself, oh, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So M is someone, verse 47, she represents one who knows the master's will but did not get ready. See, see that? She's deliberately disobedient. I, I knew it. I chose not to do anything about it. And in the event, she's, she's counted with the unbelievers, or Jesus has beaten with many blows. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? But this is deliberate disobedience to Jesus Christ, the Lord. This butler, if you like, they were given an explicit brief by their boss, and they just thought, oh, I'm not going to do that at all. I'm just going to get drunk on all your alcohol, and I'm just going to live however I want. That would incur an employer's wrath. In Christian terms, I think we're to think, this is very serious, particularly for any leader who knew the truth and chose not to do it. For any Christian leader who has studied, 
who has had all the training that could be thrown at them, who, who may have stood up and made vows or oaths and then said, yeah, but I'm not going to do anything about that anymore. Jesus is reserving his strongest language for that category of person. You may have theological degrees. You may have sworn to believe in the return of Christ. You may know the creed off by heart, but if it begins to feel implausible or unattractive to keep living sacrificially for Jesus, then Jesus wants to use strong language. He says, cut to pieces. He says, assigned a place with the unbelievers. This is not to undermine salvation by grace. We believe that people are saved when they come to Christ in repentance and faith. But maybe that person needs to do that all over again. Um, thank you. You've got the very, very serious one. But if you, if you could stay there, that would be good. And Mike, I've got one for you. Here we are. Mike, you re- represent a servant who is disobedient but ignorant. Okay. In verse 48, Jesus wants to talk about the one who does not know and yet does things deserving punishment. And he says they will be beaten with few blows. I think what this is saying is that Jesus will take into account the circumstances of our lives at judgment. Okay? So he, if someone didn't know all sorts of things that another person knew, that is, that is different and, and the Lord is wise to that sort of distinction. Those who didn't know a bunch of theology, you know, they didn't have Bibles to pore over, they didn't have books to help them with their understanding. They knew all about their creator because everyone is without excuse, Romans 1, but the master understands the difference between the person M represents and the person Mike represents. Well, to give you a personal example, I, when I was at seminary, I was privileged, I went to a, a great um, Bible college, they poured um, knowledge and information and training into me with the idea that then I'd be set up for life. Very, very grateful for that. We had a partnership with a seminary in Uganda and for every year they'd say, have any of you got any Bibles? Have any of you got any books that you could send to the seminary in Uganda? Because there are pastors they're training there and they just, they're lucky to have a Bible. And um, I look behind me at the bookshelf, you know, books and books and books and books that I was privileged to, you know, I, I read five different commentaries to prepare this sermon and they were saying they didn't have a single commentary and yet they've got a lifetime of ministry ahead of them. I learned a lot from that seminary and those pastors sacrificially serving, serving Jesus. But you see what I mean? So there's people who just haven't known as much as other people in the world knew. And Jesus gets the difference between those, those two. My three volunteers, thank you very, very much. Shall I take your signs off for you? No, you will not keep my keys. Thank you very much. Okay, let's come into land, everybody. We've, we've looked at the story. We've looked at the servants. Let's try and figure out what it means for us. God's invitation to us this morning, will you keep your lamp burning? Which is picture language, isn't it, for will you be ready? Maybe you are a leader of some sort. In this church, you have some responsibility here. Maybe you're a leader in your family and God has given you responsibility there. Which servant will you be? Don't don't you want to be the faithful and wise servant? Don't Don't you want to be the kind of Christian who... Like Jesus returns and um, you're kind of tired, but you're still there. And he, sa- and he says something like, there you are. Oh my God, you are serving my church. There, there you are. You obviously cared for it. You obviously kept going. If you, and I saw when you couldn't keep going, so you put your hand up and you asked for help and, and, you, and you did the right thing, but you're still going. Thank you. 
Is there anything I can get you? When, when you sit down, let, let me serve you in my kingdom. Right, don't you want to be there on that day? I think that's going to be amazing for anybody who's been involved in church in any way. If you are involved in ministry, keep going. I know the, light, the night can be long and the service can be hard, but that is a day to hold out for. Maybe you believe in the return of Christ. Just, you're, you're a Christian who's here today to worship the Lord, but you don't really talk about it very often. Let's talk about that for a moment. I read, read a pastor who said the return of Christ is like this great Christian topic, this great doctrine that Christians have often affirmed um, Beg your pardon. They, they, have, they have rarely denied, but also these days they rarely affirm it. That makes sense? So in other words, Christians have always believed this, and we still say it in our creeds and, and statements of faith, but rarely do we affirm it. And it was slightly different in centuries ago in the church because they, they were always talking about the return of Christ because they were persecuted left, right, and center, and they just needed the day of Christ to come soon. But it might, maybe it's different for us these days because we're more comfortable. So how can we then be the sorts of Christians who talk about and affirm the day of Christ and the return of Jesus? Because it, be, it has to be plausible, doesn't it? it has, we have to be churches where it's possible for somebody amongst us to say in conversation, I'm really looking forward to Jesus' return, and everybody else doesn't go, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a bit full on. Why are you talking like that? Because churches ought to be the place where, where the return of Christ is talked about and cherished and upheld. Here are some ideas, and then maybe, maybe you can come up with some more. Maybe we could talk about it because we say the Lord's Prayer a lot. We try and do that at church often, but the, I think the Christians who say the Lord's Prayer often, maybe they pray it daily, it has that line, your kingdom come, and that is a direct prayer saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I want you to come soon as the king. It could be... Um, when you're talking about your plans, maybe you use that little phrase, God willing. Any of you do that? That is a very biblical way of, of building in the return of Christ. So um, it's a James 4 biblical way of saying, I'm expecting Jesus to return. So I don't know whether I'm going to go on that holiday. I don't know whether I'm going to move house when I plan to. I don't know what, what's going to happen because God, God might be willing or Jesus may come soon. You could build it into your anniversaries. I was thinking about this. You know, when you get to a new year or you get to a birthday, sometimes there's an opportunity just to reflect and you get to write something or say something. And I think it's a lovely chance for a Christian to say, if the Lord gives me another year, five years, 10 years, then I'll do this, I'll thank him, I'll do whatever. But it's not a given, is it? Because Jesus may come before that. And, and those big anniversaries, they're a chance to say, look, he's given me these 30, 50, 70 years. I don't know if I'll get any more. That's a lovely godly thing to be able to say. You could, of course, talk to suffering people about the return of Christ. I think that's really precious. If, if someone is really going through a hard time, as well as providing for them practically, as well as being sympathetic and just sitting with them in their brokenness, why don't we talk about the return of Christ? Of course, I just want to encourage you that, that that day is coming soon when Jesus will return. Or you might want to read more about it, in which case um, Luke chapters 20 and 21, they're a great place to go. You just turn a few pages in your Bible and Jesus wants to talk a lot about the great day of Christ. Maybe you can think of some other ideas. You know, what would you say? How can you normalize this amongst us as our church family? Let's talk afterwards. A couple more ideas. Um, maybe you are about to dive into some big project, some great big mortgage, some career change, some family chapter. And actually, 
it would be good for you to think, is this the big thing that I want to plow into right now? Because suppose Jesus comes back in the next five years, that's going to be your, you're going to be up to your neck, up to your armpits in that thing. So I'm not saying don't do it, I'm just saying, is that what you want to be doing when the master returns? Have a think and a pray about it. Maybe you're addicted to something at the moment and it's helpful to think, is that the thing that I want to be hooked on when Jesus returns? If not, then maybe that's a really helpful swing thought for you in, in changing your attitudes and your behavior before that day. Or maybe you used to be serious about following Christ, but you've given up. In that case, Jesus has got strong words for you. Don't, don't be the kind of person who used to take this stuff seriously, used to affirm the day of Christ, but then gets caught out. Don't be one of those servants who wasn't ready. Time to finish. We've talked all about the day of Christ. And um, can I leave you with this? There is this big event coming on Saturday. It's called the coronation. However you engage with that, you know, some of you will drink it in and you will want to watch every moment live. And others of you may see a photo of King Charles and Queen Camilla. Use that as a visual aid. You know, Charles will be there next weekend and he will be wearing every, every sort of regalia that we have for him, won't he? Like he the robes, he'll have the, the best gemstones in the world on his head or in his hand. Use that as a prompt because I, I'm going to be sitting there looking at that photo thinking, you look impressive, King Charles, but actually you're not a patch on my king. You're, my, my king is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to be amazing on that day. He is going to come in all the impressiveness of the kingdom of God and yet with the, the heart of a servant. I can't wait for that day. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, we, we lift up our eyes as it were, the eyes of our heart. We long for that day when Jesus will come. Lord Jesus, would you come soon, we pray, and tie off the loose ends in this great tapestry of creation that you're weaving. We long for you to, you to bring justice and to bring shalom and peace to the universe. And we want to be ready, Lord. So we pray that for all of us, we'd be ready for that day. Help us to live in light of it, to be dressed and to keep our lamps burning. And we ask it in your name. Amen.